Hi friends, Fred Harrell here. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly City Church Sermon Podcast. Just a note that as we continue to shelter in place here in San Francisco, we will be bringing you our Sunday Sermon audio recording via Skype over a Facebook Live broadcast. So if the audio quality seems like a little lower than normal, then now you know what's happening. We just wanted you to know. You can join us on Facebook Live each Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening and subscribing to our podcast. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Matthew and from the book of Jonah. A reading from Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. And now a reading from Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where are you from? What is your country? And of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The Word of the Lord. 
Let's pray together. Gracious God, I ask that you would meet us in this ancient story, both these words of Jesus and then this very fascinating account of the prophet Jonah. Even in these fantastic, almost too big to be true stories, uh, show us how they apply to our life. Let us find ourselves in the belly of this whale, of this great fish. Uh, Let us find ourselves in the journey that Jonah is on. This morning we pray, amen. Well, good morning again, City Church. You know, I've been fascinated. I mean, just truly fascinated with the Jonah story my entire life. But this fascination has taken on a few different forms over my life. Um, As a child, I used to imagine what it would be to ride along under the water inside a really smelly whale for three days and three nights. Although I think my childhood recollection on this point gets a little blurred and merged with that scene from Pinocchio, you know, where the great uh, whale, or I think in the original story, it's a dogfish, but in the cartoon that I was aware of, it was a, a whale, and I think his name is Monstro, comes and swallows Pinocchio and Geppetto. And, you know, I think you know that scene I'm talking about, but it was this very spacious place inside that whale. And Geppetto's got like his whole office down in there. Um, he's got like a desk and a lantern and a fire, like a wood-burning stove, and he's writing letters. And I used to picture that. I used to picture Jonah kind of sitting in that sort of situation, probably not very realistic at all. But then again, much later, as a very skeptical seminary student, I was trying to make sense of a story like this that's almost too big to be true and learning to see the deep art forms and multiple layers of meaning that show up in the text itself. And I've been thinking a lot about Jonah again lately in this era of COVID confinement and isolation. And as I've watched our nation and the world struggle through a very difficult time, but also a time that seems to be um, ripe with possibilities of transformation. You know, in one of my final courses in seminary, at the very end of seminary, we, we studied the book of Jonah in depth in Hebrew. And it's not a very long book. The entire book of Jonah is like 40 verses. We read almost half of it just now. Um, So I began to realize that there's many layers of meaning beyond the science, beyond the improbability of, you know, like inner whale transport. In fact, the original ancient readers were much more accustomed to stories like this. And they would have spent exactly zero seconds questioning the science or the realism of the account, because really that's not the point of this story. In the ancient mind, the night sea journey, I'm just going to say that again, we'll be referring to that some this today. The night sea journey was a very popular motif, an archetypal way of explaining a great moment of transformation. Now, these stories, they show up in different cultures and in different religions, but they tend to follow a similar pattern where a hero or a main character sets out on a sea journey with one set of ideas and expectations about themselves and their goals, and they face huge obstacles. Now, they're usually setting out to the west, sailing out to the west. They face huge obstacles, and usually some kind of whale or a sea creature or, you know, Leviathan comes and swallows them and carries them down into the water. There's always a descent into the water, into the depths of the sea, But it also, this creature also carries them back east, back east to the new shore where they're spit out, or sometimes the the character has to claw their way out of this sea creature, 
And sometimes they're spit out naked onto the shore because their clothes have burned off inside of the sea creature. But they're reborn. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of rebirth. They're being reborn into the world with a new sense of purpose. So this is a very archetypal story, and this is the Hebrew Bible's version of the night sea journey, set to help Israel understand their purpose in the world through the story of this prophet Jonah, who was a real historical prophet. We know this from other accounts. But this takes on an added importance for us, the Jonah story takes on an added importance for us because Jesus, when he's pressed by the religious establishment of his day, they come up to him and say, show us a sign so that we know that you're legit. We know that you're the Messiah, that you're from God. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do it. The only way you're going to be able to see me and understand me is through the sign of Jonah, through the sign of descent and rebirth. So if this sign of Jonah was that key for Jesus, I want us to take some time to ask how it relates to our lives, individually and our collective life together, in this very bizarre and challenging year of 2020. And we're actually going to do it over two weeks. We're going to do it today, and two weeks from now, I'll be back to do the second half, and we'll see these typical sort of archetypal movements of Jonah's night sea journey. First, there's, um, this is coming from today's passage and a little bit into chapter two, which we'll introduce today. There's always the call and the refusal of the call. And then there's always this scene of surrender and descent into the unknown. And then it's this movement even farther down into the underworld, which here shows up as the whale. And then in two weeks, we'll sort of talk about how that underworld isn't just this form of death, which it is. It's a type of death, but it's also a kind of womb and rebirth into a new life that leads to a new vocation, a new sense of call. But also, very interestingly, there's always difficulties of incorporating that new sense of call into everyday life. And Jonah encounters that, too. And we'll see that two weeks from today. So picking up on verse one. We'll see this pattern of call and refusal start to emerge right away. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, the story wastes no time in getting started. God says to Jonah, I want you to travel about 500 miles to the east to Nineveh, which was well known by this time, um, by the original Israel, uh, Hebrew readers, well known for having been a brutal and oppressing place. God's saying to Jonah, I want you to go uh, warn them about their wicked ways, but I want you to go help them repent. You want you to, I want you to go save them. I want you to go rescue them, protect them from the judgment that's coming if they don't change their ways. And Jonah says, no, no, thank you. Well, actually, he doesn't say anything. It's, it's almost comical the way it appears in the Hebrew, if we're able to line it up on our screens, it would read something like this. And the Lord said to, to Jonah, the Lord said to Jonah, get up and go at once to Nineveh. The Lord said to Jonah, get up and go at once to Nineveh. And then the next line would say, and Jonah got up and fled for Tarshish. Now here's the thing. Tarshish is Mediterranean Spain. It's about 2,000 miles to the west in the opposite direction of where God's telling Jonah to go 
in Nineveh. In fact, Tarshish was almost as far west as you could go by boat in the known world at that time. So Jonah's not just dragging his feet, he's bolting in the opposite direction, literally trying to outrun God. And it might not be a smart move, but it's certainly one that the original readers would have sympathized greatly with. Because there was no good reason why any good Hebrew would want anything to do with the city of Nineveh. In fact, there's an entire book of the Old Testament, the book by the prophet Nahum. The entire thing celebrates the eventual fall of Nineveh. So Jonah refuses God's call and runs away. He runs far away. And this tends to be the pattern in stories like this. The chief character receives a divine or mysterious call to do something challenging. I mean, something, it just shows up one day in the middle of their ordinary life. They weren't expecting it, and it surprises them with something they really don't want to do. Something that requires them to go way outside their comfort zone, and they resist, or they bargain, or they delay. You can think of Moses meeting God at the burning bush. God shows up in that flame and says, go confront Pharaoh. And Moses protests saying, I don't want to, even though God's telling me to in the flame, I'm a terrible public speaker. Please don't make me do that. Or, you know, for some reason, even in the popular uh, epic novels and and movies, um, I was thinking a lot about Han Solo this week for some reason. You know, he wants nothing to do with the real fight against the rebel or against the empire. And he's in it for the money, only the money. And it takes, and he leaves, he takes off in the original Star Wars. And it's only much later, after fleeing, after fleeing the call, that he comes back and kind of saves the day at the end. So that's the story. That's the pattern in many of the great stories. And it's the way God seems to work. Jonah runs as far as he can. He tries to hide from God. But we need to hear this with some sympathy for Jonah because his story is really our story. And because the refusal of the call, and in this case, the running and hiding from God, is often a necessary part. It's a, it's a necessary part of the journey of transformation. Maybe that's a little counterintuitive, but it's the way God seems to work. You know, my own teacher and the poet David White, who I know I quote a lot, and so, in fact, my wife often says I quote him a little too much, but he says, hiding is underrated. I love that. Hiding is underrated. Hiding can be a way of staying alive. Hiding is a way of holding ourselves until we are ready to come into the light. Hiding is a way of holding ourselves until we are ready to come into the light. And I love that because our egos tend to view anything besides instant maturity as an embarrassing failure. But that's simply not the way growth and transformation happens. It's not the way it happens in the Bible. It's definitely not the way it's happened in my own life. Jonah's westbound sea journey, running and hiding from God, is a necessary part of his transformation process. On one level, it's straight up disobedience to God. But on another level, it's working toward his eventual transformation. And maybe that can be an encouragement to us, to know that our failures to achieve instant maturity, that they're understood by God and even written into the stories of God's great prophets. Maybe it can be an encouragement to you for the times you've struggled to do what you know is best, or maybe where you've delayed acting on a part of your life's call. 
Or maybe it can be an encouragement to you right now if you're worried about someone else, you're concerned about a loved one who is running and hiding from their full potential or from their full relationship with the divine. Jonah gets on that boat and he sets sail for the far west, planning to hide from God. But if we pay close attention to the text, we can see that he's actually already beginning a journey of surrender and descent. In the text, if you look closely, you can begin to see that the downward journey is already beginning to take shape. In verse three, right after God has said, go to Tarshish, Jonah goes down to Joppa, which is the seaport. And then in Hebrew, a few, a few words later, doesn't really show up in the English, but in the Hebrew it says, he goes down onto the boat. And then a couple of verses later in verse five, it says once he's on the boat, he goes down even further into the lower cabin, into the hold where he hides, and falls asleep. I mean, there's a huge storm that starts to break out, but Jonah is asleep. I mean, he's somehow that exhausted, somehow that over it and just checked out. And so the captain comes down and is like, what the heck are you doing, Jonah? Call on your God. And for the next few minutes, I believe Jonah is confronted with a view of the world that I don't think he had ever seen. Here he's got all the sailors from all the different nations calling out to their various gods. And by the way, these are all the wrong gods from Jonah's perspective. And they draw lots to figure out what's going on. It's a way of sort of seeking divine counsel and knowledge. The lots point to Jonah, and Jonah immediately owns up to it. He says something like, yeah, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the God of the heavens, you know, where the storm is coming from, and that God is also the God who made the sea that's trying to kill us right now. And it's also the same God who made the dry land where we're trying to get to, but also the place where, you know, we could get crashed against the rocks and die. So that's the God I worship, the one who made all the cosmic forces in play right now. And I'm running from that God. And yeah, that might have something to do with this current predicament. And the sailors are horrified. They say, what should we do? Jonah simply says, you got to throw me overboard. That's the only solution. But then amazingly, they do their very best to return to shore. They want to rescue Jonah. They didn't have to, but they want to rescue Jonah, except the storm gets even stronger and God won't allow it. So here's Jonah, the Hebrew prophet of the true God, running from that God, endangering other people, you know, other pagans in his mind, who would have had all the wrong gods, and they're the ones trying to save Jonah, risking their lives to return him to safety, showing him grace and a humane love that he was unable to generate for the people of Nineveh. And this, too, is another feature of the great stories of transformation, that when you're separated or severed from your ordinary world or from your ordinary identity, and when you've gone out on one of these night sea journeys, you begin to see the world in ways, and you begin to see other people in ways that you never expected, and maybe other people in ways you had overlooked. Even when Jonah is literally trying to outrun God, he's confronted with very unexpected helpers. And Jonah's eyes are being opened, and maybe you've experienced this in moments of feeling cut off from your own community or some aspect of your own identity, too. Care and help will often show up from the most unexpected places.
And so after trying everything they could and realizing that this God of the sky and the sea and the land was not going to let them return to shore, the sailors pray a prayer for forgiveness and they follow Jonah's advice and they throw him overboard. They throw him overboard. And for the sailors, it was a moment of great fear and consternation. But for Jonah, this is the moment of surrender. This is the moment he knows there's no other option but to entrust himself into the hands of the God he's running from. Maybe he'll die, or maybe God will be gracious and save him. You know, he still has all his anger for the Ninevites, and that's going to crop up again later. But here, he realizes that running, and that the running from his call, the running from his God, has to stop. And he surrenders himself to the raging sea of divine power. No more running, no more hiding, no more pretending. He surrenders and sinks down and down into the unknown, into the underworld, which in this story shows up in the form of a fish, a big one. We often say a whale or maybe it's a sea monster, such as Jesus says in Matthew 12. We don't really know. But the following, it's following this pattern of the ancient sea journey, and this creature sh- swallows Jonah, swallows Jonah, and carries Jonah underwater back east in a three-day journey. And this right there is the core of the sign of Jonah Jesus was talking about. It's the descent into the underworld. This is the underworld. This is where you go when things fall apart. This is the place you finally stop striving and become very present with your lostness or your limitations. And amazingly, it's not 100% terrible. It is terrifying. I mean, even the Pinocchio version of being swallowed by the whale is terrifying. But it's also a tender place that's full of grace. You know, there's a place where the teacher and writer Pema Shroden says, She's talking about a similar dynamic in life. And she says, anyone who stands on the edge of the unknown, fully in the present, without reference point, experiences groundlessness. That's when our understanding goes deeper, when we find that the present moment is a pretty vulnerable place and that this can be a completely unnerving and completely tender at the same time. This belly of the whale, this descent into the underworld is both a terrible tomb for Jonah, and it is a symbol of death in one way, but it's also a tender womb for Jonah. I mean, this is where you let go of your insistence on running, you let go of your persona, the masks, the identities that you wear, and you come into contact with your true self once again and begin to discover who you really are and what really matters. And it's often the place you begin to find the language again, and sometimes it's artistic or poetic language, to relate to God in a new way. And that's what happens here for Jonah. He writes a song. He writes a song in the whale, a psalm, a poem of gratefulness to God, because his heart is beginning to heal. We're going to talk more about this in two weeks, and it shows up in the next chapter, but I want to just introduce it today. Jonah prays to God these words. This is also one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, just by the way. 
from the whale. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, in the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah is on a three-day underwater, underworld journey back east. And his heart is beginning to heal. He's confined in an awful situation. He's trapped in a whale. He's experienced a form of death, but he's simultaneously being reborn. And we'll pick that up again in two weeks, the rebirth of Jonah into his renewed vocation. And this sign of Jonah that Jesus talks about, this journeying to the underworld, here the belly of the whale, in order to be reborn, this is the Jonah pattern. This is the Jesus pattern. This is the Jesus way of the cross. But Jonah shows us it's also the path for our growth and transformation. It's the moment that in the moment can feel like a form of death. But if we're able to see the pattern and be present with it, it can be tender and instructive and full of grace. And really in the end, it's the key to all life and and growth. As the poet Goethe says, this is the end of a very, um, one of my favorite poems, The Holy Longing. He says, so long, and so long as you haven't experienced this, and so long as you haven't experienced this, to die and so to grow, you are only a troubled guest on the dark earth. And so long as you haven't experienced this, to die and so to grow, you are only a troubled guest on the dark earth. So what is the belly of the whale for you right now? What is the night sea journey or this underworld part of the night sea journey for you? You know, in this age of of COVID, which seems to be going on a lot longer than we thought, this sort of time will accelerate many of the transformations that may have needed to take place in our lives for a long time. I mean, we're in a storm that we never wanted to be in. And it's forced us into a confinement that we never asked for. It's cut us off from each other and from the world that we love in a terrible way, but it's also cut us off from many distractions. And that may mean we have the opportunity to face ourselves in new ways, but it can also be an unnerving place that's simultaneously unnerving, maybe terrifying, and also tender and full of grace. You know, throughout this time, these last five months or however many months we are into this now, my heart has been especially with those living alone. But this weekend, particularly today, my thoughts and my heart, my prayers go out to the parents of school-aged children and to the teachers of those children and to the students themselves. Because if you're here in San Francisco, for most people, school starts tomorrow. And many of you are going to be managing virtual schooling and homeschooling, you know, something you never signed up for in the belly of that whale. And if you feel like you're drowning, it's because in a way you are. The overwhelm is real. 
and it's not because you're doing anything wrong. If you're a parent who is trying to simultaneously hold on to your job while overseeing your children's education, or you're a teacher trying to teach other people's kids with the challenges of remote learning while also struggling to find the time and the resources to care for your own loved ones, and maybe some with special needs. Or if you're a student, maybe perhaps an extroverted student who's really longing for the connection, the human connection that's been missing for so many months, or maybe a student athlete who's unable to exercise your gifts this year, experiencing a real form of loss, I just want to acknowledge that the suffering is real. And you're simply not going to be able to do it all or be everything you wish you could be right now. You're in the belly of the whale in a very real way, experiencing a type of confinement and loss. And paradoxically, quite paradoxically, the only way through it is to be able to surrender to this moment, to not resist it, to not try to overpower it by getting busier, but to be present with the limitations that are here and to look for companionship and tenderness and grace along the way. And those things are always nearby. And I think as a church, we can provide some of that for one another. But it's okay to feel like you're drowning. In fact, that's exactly where you can expect to meet Jesus. You know, there's, there's a verse in a song by the great poet, songwriter, Leonard Cohen, that I always think about when I think about Jonah's prayer, Jonah's song from the belly of the whale. And I think only a couple lines are going to go on your screen today, but I'm going to read the whole verse. This is the second verse from the song, Suzanne, where he says, And Jesus was a sailor when he walked upon the water, and he spent a long time watching from his lonely wooden tower. And when he knew for certain only drowning men could see him, he said, All men will be sailors then until the sea shall free them. All people will be sailors then until the sea shall free them but he himself was broken long before the sky would open, forsaken, almost human. He sank beneath your wisdom like a stone. When you feel yourself drowning in the weeks ahead, when you feel yourself in the belly of that whale, look for companionship, look for tenderness, look for grace, believe they're always nearby. Look for them, look for Jesus the one who meets us in those waters. Let's pray. God, give us peace. Center our hearts in this trying time, however it appears to us and shows up in our life. Meet us in those waters, in the belly of this whale that we're traveling in together and alone, and renew us. Help us to see the path and the pattern for rebirth into new callings, and new days of living with you and with each other that are ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.